is Wade Rathke, and you're listening to Wade's World, a voice of the people program. Welcome to the east side of town so that we can talk about how the other half lives and what life is like here living in Wade's World, whether that's the east side of Little Rock, Greenville, or New Orleans, or on Acorn Radio in Nairobi, Bengaluru, Bristol, or Bombay. Points east and west where we are either rebroadcast or live-streamed at kavf.org, wamf.org, or acornradio.org. A podcast will be available this show on those websites and at www.chieforganizer.org. You know the story on Wage World. We talk to the most interesting people in the world. Today we're talking to Guthrie Grace Fitzsimmons, a progressive Christian writer and activist who works with faith-based groups about his new book, Just Faith, Reclaiming Progressive Christianity. Guthrie, I've only known you all your life, but welcome to Wage World. <laughs> Thank you for having me on, Wade. It's a great pleasure and honor. Well, and of course, uh, you know, this is one of those full disclosure moments I should probably say at the beginning of the show. I, I literally have known Guthrie all of his life. I, I don't go to weddings, but I went to his wedding, his sister's wedding, his parents' wedding, uh, who were comrades and colleagues and dear, dear friends uh, from community and labor organizing over many years. So, Guthrie, it's such a, a pleasure for me to be able to talk to you, but this is not a usual book that you'd expect from a, a young man uh, in, well, you must be in your 30s by now, eh? I, I, tur- I am 30, exactly, yes. Okay. On that, on that personal note, I want to thank you for uh, having my mom with Acorn go to Texas and meet my dad, and that's the reason <laughs> I'm here. So you've played a big part in my life, Wade. <laughs> Uh, the very I, I give I give Judy and Oral all the credit there, but yes, uh, uh, we were part of the, the the train, you know, way back in the caboose on that. But uh, that's exactly right. And I, you know, I have to say, one of the seminal experiences you mentioned in your book and, and ter- is when you first got the flyer at a uh, African American church in Houston. We were running the minimum wage campaign uh, for an increase in minimum wage in the city of Houston. Yeah, faith-based activism has been, well, activism and faith-based activism activism have both been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. There's photos of me, you know, in a baby carrier, my mom, you know, lifting me up above a crowd. I think we were at some bank in New York City protesting, um, and then, you know, just uh, different picket lines and things. So activism and then, uh, you know, seeing the black church activism through the minimum wage campaign just made such a big impression on me. Um, they used to the, talk about red life. diaper babies, uh, Guthrie, so I don't know what we should call you, but uh, what is progressive Christianity in, in your definition? Because that's really what we're talking today about. Yeah, I have a pretty broad definition of what is progressive Christianity. So for one, it's people who call themselves Christians, and I don't get in the business of kind of policing who is and who isn't a Christian. So if you call yourself a Christian, I take you at your word. And then the progressive part of it is people that are broadly part of the progressive movement. And I'm often in the business of policing who is and who's not a progressive. So whether you're kind of um, more into the economic justice movement or the social justice, racial justice, immigrant rights, environmental movement, the reproductive rights movement. I mean, there's so many movements on the left um, that are all striving towards a more just and equitable society. So if you're you're a part of that movement or any sub movement and you're a Christian, to me you're a progressive Christian and part of this um, broader patchwork uh, of people putting their faith into action for social justice. You do sort of define uh, 
what you believe some sort of criteria are for progressive Christian churches. Uh, mm-hmm. You might want to share that as well. Well, yeah, I think um, in the book you're referencing, I, I worked with a group called the Public Religion Research Institute to come up with a, a kind of measurement of what I call consistently progressive Christians. There's often a kind of um, narrative that you hear that there maybe there are some lefty Christians, some people who care about um, like economic justice and racial justice, but they want to criminalize abortion and they don't support same-sex marriage. And so I worked with them to find to to use some of their public opinion research and find that 35 million Christians in this country um, support reproductive rights, support LGBTQ rights, and support immigrant rights, which is, I believe, immigrant rights is the defining issue of Trumpism in this kind of current moment we're in. And so that kind of cohort of 35 million Christians, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say they're not progressive, they're not consistently progressive, it's not like they're conflicted about being progressive. You know, they are... um, across the board, kind of really invested in in making our society more equal. And you found, uh, working with uh, that survey group, that that's a larger cohort than what are so-called evangelicals, isn't it? It is, yeah. 18, so the inverse of that, people that are anti-immigration, um, anti-choice, and anti-LGBTQ was 18 million. Um, and, and those are the Christians you know, you usually hear about sort of what led me to write the book was I grew up in this very activist household and raised in a Methodist church. And so it seemed natural to me. I was around black church activism all the time through my parents' work as organizers. But then I kind of, as I grew up and kind of learned about our national political climate, I realized that's not how people usually talk about Christians. And so there was this disconnect. The, you know, why I wanted to do this poll and write the book. And, and the poll was that, that poll was actually the first thing um, that led to the book. I kind of started there and wrote my way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, evangel- evangelicals have dominated the discourse, though. And mm-hmm. in your book, uh, Just Faith, you also look at some of the history of, of fundamentalism, and some of that may surprise people. Definitely. Um, So there was a kind of uh, a big controversy in the Protestant churches across all the different Protestant denominations, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, at the beginning of the 20th century um, that revolved around, you know, do we take the Bible literally or do we, uh, you know, uh, you know, do we have these strict views about what uh, scripture is and what um, the Bible says, like kind of in a strict way, um, they develop these kind of uh, fundamentals, which is where we get the word fundamentalism, like you have to believe these things. So that was one group, the fundamentalists. And then on the other side, you had liberal Christians who were trying to kind of um, embrace science, like think about evolution and how that impacted their faith and and really trying to explore new ways of kind of understanding Scripture, not to take Scripture less seriously, but to take it less like a a law book or some kind of like strict mandate that you have to follow word for word. Um, And so there was this break kind of in Protestantism at the beginning of the 20th century, the modernist liberals on one side and the fundamentalists, but then, and the modernist liberals kind of won that that debate 
in American public life. But then the, the kind of fundamentalist mid-century kind of regrouped and became evangelical and took a word that, that has roots going back to, to Jesus's time, uh, in the Greek root of the word evangelical, um, and, and they really kind of made that their cause, that we are evangelical Christians, and that means kind of a rebranded fundamentalism. You have to believe certain things. Um, you have to believe, like, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven, and everyone that doesn't believe that is going to burn eternally in hell. You have to kind of believe a, a few things, so it, it is a refreshed fundamentalism. And so that battle is still playing out today, except that evangelicals have done a much better job of getting their message out. Um, than than those of us that that believe differently, and certainly that creates a crisis for people who are progressive Christians in your definition. But I have to tell you, reading your book and also reading the daily papers about the confirmation hearing for uh, Justice Amy Barrett, uh, constitutional originalism seems a lot like religious fundamentalism. It's a uh, you know, strict reckoning to what people believe are exact words, you know, in one case, several hundred years ago, and the other case, two millennium ago. Does that ever seem the case to you? It does. And what's so strange about Amy Coney Barrett's nomination is that the original framers of the Constitution did not, you know, did not include women and certainly didn't imagine a woman on the Supreme Court. Um, so in the same way, kind of, um, fundamentalists don't make any room for women in the church, in church leadership. Um, they don't think women are equal kind of, um, at a basic level, like, you know, women should be serving, uh, men. And, uh, Amy Coney Barrett is a fundamentalist Christian kind of in her daily life. And then a kind of fundamentalist, like you said, originalist, (laughs) those are, uh, very similar terms, and they're they're all about kind of social control and being against any kind of progress in society. We're talking to Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons, who uh, is an activist for progressive Christianity, but he's also the author of a new book called Just Faith, Reclaiming Progressive Christianity. You've had your own uh, experiences with the church as well. One of the things you recount in your book uh, in several cases is uh, sort of the estrangement uh, that's happened in the United Methodist Church and how you ended up in the Baptist community. Yeah, I uh, was very drawn, very, uh, you know, really uh, strong member of my Methodist Church growing up. I preached twice on New Sunday growing up uh, at my church, and and the church that I grew up in was a very inclusive, kind of welcoming place. Um, we marched against the Iraq War together as a church. Um, we were involved in various kind of social justice initiatives. That, um, in the city, they are doing some work on affordable housing. Like, they're invested in kind of what I think Christianity should be. And the pastor that was pastoring when I was in high school had actually been the Grand Marshal um, of Houston's LGBTQ Pride Parade. And as I was kind of coming to terms with my own sexuality as a gay man, that was very empowering. And so I felt very welcomed and embraced uh, by by my local church. But then the Methodist Church has um, kind of a rulemaking body that is global in nature and uh, keeps every four years reaffirming their discrimination 
and saying that uh, same-sex marriage is not allowed in the church. And as I got older, I grew more and more frustrated. I actually went to this global conference where they voted in 2016 with my mom, and she got involved in some of the organizing efforts. She, you know, it was only right that both of y'all should be out flyering the Methodists as they come into that meeting. I left. I have a. I don't know if I've ever seen a picture, but I definitely have a, a visual image of that always. There are photos of that. Yeah, we. She even made a banner. I mean. My mom, Judy, is such a uh, uh, consummate organizer, you know, never seen a clipboard she didn't pick up and start getting people to sign on. Um, so, yeah, and, and she stayed very active as I left. The, so I got sick of it. The vote went bad. Um, and I was, um, you know, like, I'm over it. <laughs> but she's actually stayed active and is uh, now on the board of, like, the group that's trying to push for change in the Methodist Church. And so I was... I, I kind of was like, I would like to be at a church where I could get married. Uh, and I found a Baptist church here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and, you know, when we sat down with our minister, who then performed the, the ceremony you were at, Wade, you know, it was like, no, it was a no-brainer. Um, and so I am grateful for the, the Methodist tradition. I grew up in, in the church. My parents, um, you know, sent me or had me, you know, go to Sunday school and all that youth group. And I also needed to make a change. And, it, and But this change is happening across the board in all the Protestant denominations, and even in the Catholic Church. People are probably familiar with Pope Francis kind of moving the Catholic Church in a different direction, away from condemnation and hate towards, um, you know, some version of inclusion. And they're all kind of moving in that direction. It's just slow and painful. Well, those who aren't, uh, you know, as regular churchgoers, I mean, we're probably don't normally think of the Baptist as a progressive Christian stronghold, but one of the points you make is that individual congregations sort of have local autonomy, and, and I don't know if that's the correct term in, mm-hmm. in a religious sense, but that's uh, that was interesting to me. Definitely, and, and on that level, these these discussions are hard, but they're really hard when they happen at a global level where people don't know each other. And one of the things I've come to like about um, Baptist, and I, I uh, have I've come to like a lot of things about kind of local autonomy and um, local decision-making, because people can then get to know each other. Um, and, and we're a pretty progressive uh, Baptist church, and there are issues kind of with other Baptists, and people come and they're like, you're Baptist? This is not what I think of when I come to a Baptist church. Um, but it's also, you know, freedom. Like when we went, um, our church is trying to be very active in the protests around Breonna Taylor's murder, here in Louisville, and right there's no there's no like authority to check with to do that. We just go out and do it. Um, so that's freeing in a way to to just be able to live out our faith. You know, and uh, I knew your grandmother, Frances Graves, and uh, she's probably the closest person I've ever known to being an evangelical. She was mm-hmm. virtually a missionary in in the terms that I would have understood. I mean, she was regularly when I would come through Houston. Sometimes I would be staying in her room. She was out, you know, somewhere in Mexico giving out flyers and Bibles and whatever. Um, how, how, does that, how does that align with progressive Christianity? Yeah, I, don't, I uh, dedicate, no, don't, dedicated the book to her uh, because she's the person most like Jesus I've, I've ever known in that she, uh, you know, had a, had a humble spirit. 
uh, a service attitude, a, a caring attitude, um, wanted to uh, be kind to everyone she met. But then also, you know, understood the social justice implications. And I, I went back while I was writing the book and found this interview I did with her that I quote in the book from eighth grade. I had to do like a class project and I interviewed her about going to Nicaragua um, with Witness for Peace as living out her faith and providing protective accompaniment um, to people, to the Sandinistas there. Um, and she really uh like under and she would march with us like in the uh marches against the iraq war and was supportive of you know uh the social justice work of christianity and so i think she was really yeah she was evangelical in the good sense of the word not in the kind of corrupt way fundamentalists have kind of taken over the word but evangelical in spreading the good news which is the root of of the word both in like spreading yes uh, you know, being a missionary and connecting with women throughout Mexico, but then also understanding that when Jesus announced his own ministry in Luke 4, he said, you know, I've come to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to, um, you know, this radical kind of social justice mission. I think she really understood that, too. So she had, she had such a big impact on my life, living with uh, me, for, living with our family from an early age, um, and really like being a true Christian in, in word and deed. In your book, you uh, come up with these five criteria for looking at whether or not specific churches across denominations are progressive, um, whether it's a spiritually enriching community, vibrant worship, social justice concerns, LGBTQ inclusive, actively inviting people with a Christian identity and belongings. Uh, you did a fairly wide search to see uh, to in, to see exactly who sort of met that criteria, didn't you? I did, and I was surprised. I mean, people kept all across the country. People said, "Oh, I know a church like this in my area," and yet everybody feels alone. That that are these kind of progressive Christian churches? I've heard that across the country. Um, that you know, we're the outlier. We're not like those kind of you know, the Christians you usually hear about. Or we're, we're Baptists, but not that kind. You know, Methodists, but we're not like the, you know, the official rules of the Methodist denomination. And yet I laid out these criteria and said, then in your recommendations, and, and it, you know, recommendations came in from across the country. And so there's a church, and I uh, am just, you know, was one person doing this. I wasn't like a formal organization. And so I'm confident that there's, a, you know, a progressive church deeply working towards social and economic racial justice in every, you know, major city in this country and most smaller towns. There are people doing this work. And so I, that was one reason I wanted to write the book is to encourage people a little bit that you all feel alone, but if you look around, there are many other people like you and maybe we should organize. I hear you. We're talking to Guthrie Graves Fitzsimmons about his new book, Just Faith, Reclaiming Progressive Christianity. At one point in the book, you say you have one central ask of people who are, who've read the book that far, and that's to raise their voices. What are you thinking about there, Guthrie? Yeah, the, the tendency not to talk about your faith, it comes from a good place. It comes for, for a lot of progressive Christians. They don't want to um, be like the, the conservative fundamentalists, you know, out there, like Westboro Baptist Church, 
uh, talking a bunch of hate and bigotry in, in the public square, and they 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 fear that if they do speak up about their faith, people will assume a lot of negative things about them uh, based on kind of cultural uh, stereotypes about Christians. And so there is a, a hesitancy uh, at all levels, whether, uh, you know, it's President Barack Obama, a, very, <laughs> a person with a very profound faith, uh, down to like average people, I think, about talking about faith in a way that is inclusive. Um, it's, it's, I think most progressive Christians are not coming out saying, if you don't believe like me, you're going to be punished, you know, by God for eternity. You know, it's not that kind of, uh, they're not saying that, but they are saying my faith doesn't form my views. Um, I think it's very powerful when people do. I, in the book, I, I give an example of John Lewis, um, who, like my grandmother, passed away while the book was being um, written, and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and AOC does such a great job of bringing her faith into it, not in a way of saying I'm Catholic and I care about all these progressive uh, ideals. Um, uh, she says like that really informs her faith, not in a, if you're not Catholic, you're bad, but you know, it's, it's part of what drives me. I think it's, and it takes everybody speaking up to change the kind of cultural norms and organizing. You know, I also talk about the need to build more organizing infrastructure alongside kind of individual people speaking out because everyone speaking out doesn't make sense if we're not kind of doing it in an organized manner. Well, there's also such a cultural dampener. I mean, the one thing that people almost in this country learn from birth is, you know, if you in family gatherings and elsewhere, politics and religion are divisive, uh, not mm-hmm. inclusive. So uh, calling for more people to raise those issues uh, is an interesting call. So how do you see the organizing happening, Guthrie? I think there is more and more organizing happening uh, across the religious left, including progressive Christianity. I've been involved. So I wanted to get into this work. You know, I saw this forum that happened in in 2008, during the presidential primary between Hillary Clinton and, and President Obama, and they were talking about their faith, and I was like, that's what I want to do, is kind of get involved in this progressive faith organizing. And so it happens issue by issue. There's things like the Interfaith Immigration Coalition, the Poor People's Campaign. There are, um, you know, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. There are issue by issue religious organizing campaigns. And then there are people trying to, like, build a religious constituency. So I mentioned two groups in the book that that really stick out to me. One is Faith in Public Life, which is building a network of faith, kind of a grass-top strategy nationally of 50,000 faith leaders. Um, And they've been gaining some, you know, they've been at work um, now for, since I think 2006. And then around the same time, another group was founded called Faithful America, which is kind of a a progressive Christian move on where they're doing online organizing and petitions uh, and then in-person petition deliveries and kind of targeted uh, campaigns. To, and they have about 160,000 members. Now, do they also there. raise uh, donations in, in a moveon.org kind of way, or is it mainly just putting people together? Yeah, it's all, it's all small-dollar grassroots funded. Gotcha. Um, Faithful America is uh, t- entirely from their membership. Which I, which growing up with organizer uh, parents uh, who you know taught me or told me about the days in which they were out raising money from cars 
you know, to fund their organizing. I think building a grassroots constituency that funds the work is what really excites me. And, and identifying all these progressive Christians and making them believe or asking them to believe in a mission to, to get organized and having them fund it rather than some other ways people fund organizing work. Well, we certainly uh, always believe in dues, uh, but uh, tagging, uh, which is that kind of fundraising your your mom and dad told you about, is certainly something that uh, is, a, is a badge of, of honor for many people who come through our, our organizing experience. You uh, argue for a, a theology that is based on loving your neighbor. Guthrie, how does that work? Yeah, Jesus is asked, um, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, love God and love your neighbor. And the second is, is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that um, your calling in life is to be uh, work for, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love yourself. So it's not a call to like totally abdicate self-interest, but to also see a communal interest, that your life uh, is inextricably tied uh, to the life of all of your neighbors, and to to expand your notion of who your neighbor is, which is um, what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, which Elizabeth Warren likes to cite all the time uh, on the campaign trail about, uh, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. and I was hungry, and you gave me food. And Jesus is saying, whenever you see somebody um, who is in need and you help them, you are doing that uh, as you would to me. And so that's like the essence of what it means to be a Christian, is, is to, is to um, care about others and to work for a society where everybody's basic needs are met, everybody is valued, um, nobody's human dignity is denied, and uh, we have the resources right now as a civilization uh, to provide for everybody, to make meet everybody's needs um, in the United States and around the world. It's just a matter of political will. And I think Christians are called from that basic concept to then go out and build that world um, where everybody has enough. Guthrie, uh, recently on, on Wage World, this radio show, I interviewed somebody who'd written a book called White Christian Privilege. And mm-hmm. was basically arguing that it's so dominant in our culture that it is not inclusive of the wide uh, experience of immigrants and other religions. Is that an issue for progressive Christianity? It definitely is. Racial justice is at the, I think, core right now during our nation's uh, reckoning uh, over uh, systemic racism, but has always been. The black church has been the conscience uh, of Christianity in our nation's history, and white Christians have to do a lot of work uh, on two fronts. One, as white people, um, a great group is showing up for racial justice surge, which is empowering you know white people to talk to other white people and do our own work to dismantle white supremacy. But then we also have work to do as Christians, and there's a great, because white uh, nationalism and white supremacy are closely linked with Christian nationalism and this idea that, you know, the United States is a Christian nation, um, which uh, is, you know, a total distortion of our nation's history and commitment to religious freedom. 
And so we also well, and, and you don't hear as much about ecumenicalism anymore <laughs> that we used to hear about 20 years ago. Guthrie, we're coming towards the end of our time. How do people get a copy of Just Faith, Reclaiming Progressive Christianity, your book? You can get it wherever books are sold, your local independent bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's also available on uh, e-readers, Kindles, and as an audio book. An audio book. Did you actually read the entire book for that? I did not. Uh, I did get to listen to seven people audition to read the book, which was a fun experience. <laughs> I, I can I imagine. The person that reads it really is good. Well, uh, you know, there you go. Um, and if people want to continue this dialogue with you about uh, what it means to be a progressive Christian or where this is going, is there a way? Do you have a website? Or, I know you mentioned the book. You're, a, you're on Twitter regularly and religiously almost. How, how can people get a hold of you? Find me on Twitter, GuthrieGS, um, or send me an email, GuthrieGS at gmail.com. I'd love to continue the conversation. Thank you so much, Guthrie. It's been a pleasure. This has been Wade's World for another week, the world where the other half lives, where we talk about things you've never heard. And as Lucinda Williams sang, Things you've never seen and will never forget. Wage World is underwritten by the Darrell Foundation, a progressive force enabling change based in Little Rock, Arkansas. As the song goes, we say it loud, we say it on the air, we say it on the radio. Until next week, and we'll have another guest. This is Wade Rafty for Wage World. Thank you.